0: Welcome back, U.S. History fans. We got a kind of quick podcast for you today all about the Dust Bowl with a side of Great Depression. I know, doesn't that sound appetizing? Not so much. But anyhow, let's get into it. So, the Great Depression. Now, if you remember, we left off with the stock market crash on Black Tuesday, October 29th, 1929. So... The Great Depression officially started on that day, and it lasted basically from October 29th, 1929, until the United States entered World War II. Now, some people might argue that it started a little bit earlier with the Farmer's Depression stuff, but for the most part, it is generally historically accepted that it went from 1929, end of October 29th, 1929, to World War II D-Day. All right, so we're going to talk about the kind of what caused it. Now, the obvious thing of what caused it was that stock market crash, but there were a lot of different reasons why that stock market crash kind of was the the, the tipping point. There was a lot of other things that kind of were set up to make this big fall. All right, so bottom line, the economy was not stable there was an extremely uneven distribution of wealth the haves and the have-nots so most of the money in the economy was just in a few people's hands and these people had saved or invested it well the industries during this time had produced more than what people wanted so these people that did have the money and invested in companies whatever they had produced too much Um, businesses in general there's too much okay when there's an oversupply of something, all right, there's too much, no one wants it, what happens to the price? It goes down. All right, think of it like uh two-for-one deals or like if you go to like a Kroger and they have the manager special and stuff, it's, you know, it's kind of the clearance rack. It's something that is going to expire, or, you know, go bad, they're going to have to throw it away, so they discount it to try to get rid of it. Well... That's what's going to happen here. These businesses, they've produced too much of stuff, so prices start to go down. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, that doesn't sound too bad or anything like that, but for people, in order to make more money during this time, they decided, well, gee, my product is selling for less. I better sell more of my product in order to make more money or to cover up my losses well that's not a sustainable you know business model so a lot of the farmers during this time were selling more and more and more to try to make up for their profits but by selling more and more and more they're flooding the economy with supply and with too much supply their prices keep going down so the farmers take out more loans to get more land so they can make more of the product and then they can sell more and then try to make the same amount of money that they had the previous year so this is not sustainable and that's sometimes why we get that kind of the farmers depression started before the Great Depression started now modern day we have, the government actually regulates a lot of what uh, farmers produce and how much they produce. And, you know, it's, it's not like true, you know, like, oh my gosh, that sounds communist. The government telling us what to do. It's not quite like that. They give uh, tax incentives for people to follow, like, certain guidelines and, and whatnot, but it's not mandatory. It's just like, hey, we'll pay you $1,000 if you don't plant corn this year. You can plant anything else you want, just if you don't plant corn, we'll give you 1000 bucks for the sake of argument. All right, so you know, the, the economy is just not sustainable in that respect. Now we also have this thing called overspeculation, where those people who are, are buying too much, that whole buying on mar- uh, on margin, So people bought stocks with borrowed money, that buying on margin thing. So that's not going to end well, as we know from our last unit. Um, Collateral, which allowed people to buy more with money they didn't really have. Like, here, have my house. If I don't pay back, take my house. So now the people lose all that money and they lose their house. So that's another thing that's not going too well. The government um, didn't do the best of things when it came to certain policies. For instance, in the 1920s, the Federal Reserve, uh, which regulates a lot of money and how much money is in circulation and whatnot, they cut interest rates in order to spur economic growth. So what that basically means is if you borrow money from a bank, uh, if I borrow $100, I have to pay back $120 because I have 20% interest. Well, they wanted people to borrow money, so they said, we'll make it 5% interest. So if you borrow $100, you have to pay back only $105. Well, gee, that's that's not too bad at all. So people are borrowing lots of money, and guess what they're doing with that money? Oh, yeah, doing that whole stock thing. Well, in 1929, this, the Federal Reserve before the stock market crash, mind you, was like, wow, people are borrowing so much money and they're just putting in the stock. This is bad. So how about we start limiting the supply of money? If people don't have a lot of money, then they won't want to like spend it all willy-nilly and whatnot and just put it all in the stock market. Well, when there is too little money in circulation, all right. This is going to make money more valuable, yes, but people are less willing to part with their money. So um, when there's not enough money in circulation, we call that deflation. When there's too much money in circulation, we call that inflation. And during the time of the Great Depression, and during the Great Depression, sorry, my tongue just went. Anyhow, during the Great Depression, we had deflation. So the people had money and stuff, but. The money they had was worth a lot, but they just didn't have tons of it. So that's when you hear your grandparents say, back in my day, a dollar could buy a steak dinner. Well, they weren't they weren't lying. That's actually pretty accurate. So moving on here, poverty spreads, all right? So this whole poverty spreading idea happened because of the Great Depression. It wasn't just isolated. It spread everywhere. Most people during the time of the Great Depression starting and everything, had mortgages or paid rent and a mortgage is basically a loan on your house and paying rent is you have to you know pay a monthly you know amount for your home so when the banks failed people didn't have any savings left because the banks closed down so the people also lost their jobs during this time if you remember their the businesses started to fail they had produced too much people stopped buying their products so they cut then cut production so then there's no business you know hiring people or anything so people are losing their jobs losing their savings so people would come home and find out they had been evicted or kicked out of their homes so people who didn't even invest in the stock market got hurt because their savings were wiped out and their jobs were gone and now their homes are gone. So things were just out of control during this time. And the Great Depression spread to all levels of society. That's why I started this little talk with poverty spreads. And by 1933 there was around 25% unemployment. I believe at the height it was 26.5%, but we'll say 25 just for the sake of argument. And if you remember, I've mentioned this before, the people who did have jobs, they either were part-time or their wages were cut. So now that all these people are homeless, they have to find somewhere to live, and you know, on the streets and so forth. And the people who are on the bottom of the economic ladder just got hit the hardest. New York City, for example, had 15,000 homeless. And these homeless people uh, started to live in little shanty towns that they built out of basically anything they could find uh, commonly tar paper, cardboard, scrap metal, you name it. And they named these little shanty towns Hoovervilles. And this was designed to kind of mock the president, who they basically blamed for all their problems, President Hoover, Herbert Hoover, Hoovervilles. And these people living in these Hoovervilles, they used Hoover blankets, which were newspapers that they used as blankets, Hoover blankets. Hoover flags were pants pockets that had been turned inside out, basically to show, look, I have no money, my pants pockets are hanging outside because I have nothing. So Hoover flags, and finally Hoover wagons, which were old cars pulled pulled by horses since their owners could no longer pay for the gas for the cars. Now, I know that sounds a little weird, thinking of, you know, wow, you don't have money for gas, but you have money for a horse. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure how that one worked, but suffice it to say, that was a Hoover wagon. Now, in the Roaring Twenties, um, you know, everything was going well and we practiced, we being the government in the United States, Herbert Hoover, uh, practiced laissez faire oh, 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 the to let do hands off economy and business. Alright, so now it was the the government's job to help kind of bring the economy back. And Herbert Hoover in Congress kind of left the aid up to local communities and charities to provide aid for the needy. So the government was still very hands-off. We're not going to help people. We're not going to give out just kind of, you know, um, a a welfare-type system to help people out with everything. It's like, no, 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 that's, you know, they actually thought that by helping people and just giving them money, we were undermining their self-worth. So we wanted people to kind of work for everything, which, I mean, I, I guess I understand that philosophy, but at some point it was just it was so bad in America that maybe we needed more than just some charities so during this time uh, the government authorized the use of federal funds to give aid to big businesses alright now that's right people are starving let's give money to big businesses well the idea sounded good on paper It didn't work um, but the idea was that the money would trickle down. Sometimes you hear this called the trickle down effect. And sometimes it works. Um, in this case, it did not. Um, but the idea was these big businesses would have all this money. Now the big businesses have the money. Then they open up new businesses and they start building new products. They hire new people. When you hire the people, that money that originally was given to the big business by government then goes to the employees um, and so on. Like, for example, if The government gives me a thousand dollars and I go, wow, this is great. I want to build a new addition onto my house. Well, now I have to hire um, uh, laborers. I have to hire some contractors. I have to uh, hire an architect, an electrician, uh, a plumber. I have to hire all these people. And that money that was given to me is now trickling down to the other people. Well, it didn't really work. A lot of these businesses didn't exactly give it all to the people and whatnot. Um, Also, during this time... Uh, part of the trickle-down, the government did start building giant things, um, public works projects, in order to help, you know, have the money trickle down. And we're going to see this kind of amp up big time when we get to FDR. But one of the big things that Herbert Hoover tried to build, or did build, I guess I should say, I say tried to because the name changed, but uh, Boulder Dam. But we don't really know it as Boulder Dam because it's now named Hoover Dam, actually after President Hoover. So anyhow, um, now not everyone decided that living in those shanty towns and stuff was the best. So people started to go on the move looking for work and food and so forth. And people started to get around by riding the rails or the railroads, and they slept in boxcars or open freight cars, and a lot of young people started to to do this and said, look, you know, hey, we're young, we're looking for jobs, we have no, nothing tying us down to this area, we don't have a family, like, meaning kids or anything like that, so let's start moving here. So by 1933, about 1 million kids or teenage, I'm sorry, 1 million people in general, 250,000 teenagers, get to that in a second, were on the move. And a lot of them risked jail, injury, and even death. And also, like I said, in the 30s, roughly 250,000 teenagers were living on the road. So um, now... Just a little bit of a backtrack here, because you know, if you've listened to enough of my podcast, you know I sometimes jump around. Sorry, it's uh, just how my brain works here. So um, the farms, if you remember, we talked about how they had produced too too much. Well, that overproduction hurt those prices. And when the farmers couldn't pay their mortgages or the money they owed on their homes, they lost their farms too. So sorry, that's my shantytown kind of tie-in, because the farmers lost their farms as well. Now, once those farmers lost their farms, they started, um, they, they went back to the banks. So the banks now have these giant farms, and they don't know what to do with them. So they decide to sell them on auctions. Because remember, a bank doesn't want a farm. They want money. So they would set up these farms on auctions. You know, it's like selling this farm right here. We have $100,000. Do I have $100,000? No, I do not. Do I hear $50,000? $50,000? No, I do not. Do I hear $10,000? And no, 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 Nothing. No one would bid on these auctions. So what would happen is these friends and families of the farmers would go there, and they just would be quiet, and they wouldn't bid anything. So the far, so the, the banks, they don't want this farm. They want to sell it. So then the families and friends, they'd say, all right, I'll give you a penny. And so they would just sell for a penny. Now being a little bit facetious here they would sell for very low money but they were nicknamed penny auctions because of this so these penny auctions they would sell for you know a metaphorical penny here or very cheap for that matter and then the people who bought it would just give it back to the person who lost the farm so at least they wouldn't be evicted or kicked out now, if you thought that was bad for the farmers, oh wait, it gets worse because the de- the depression became um, really bad for farmers, especially living in the Great Plains region uh, from 1931 to 1940 when basically all the topsoil or the really fertile growing soil started to blow out of this area um, of the central and southern Great Plains and this region became known as the Dust Bowl. Now. The Dust Bowl partly was be these dust storms that would kick up and blow all the dust out. But the reason this, this happened is there was a severe drought in this area. There was not enough rain, so nothing was growing there. And now the drought really did, you know, kind of make everything dry and whatnot. But there were some other factors as well. It used to be historically for, I mean, we're talking thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, there was prairie grass. And the prairie grass had kind of um, grown over the years, you know, thousands of years and evolved to just like basically be drought resistant. Kind of like how cactus survive in deserts, you know, they're okay with not having a lot of water. Well, this prairie grass was kind of overall designed to, you know, work in very low water conditions. And what I mean by this is they have this grass has roots and the roots stay in the ground and they keep the ground together. So if the grass dies and goes away, then that just exposes the soil. But if the grass is there, the roots hold it all together. Well, when the farmers came along, they plowed everything out of there and took away this top grass. Well, as long as they had rain, the corn, the soybeans, whatever would grow in there just fine. Uh, But, one of the big crops in there was wheat, and that wheat was not drought resistant. So, when there was no rain, the wheat all died. When the wheat died, it exposed the dirt. And all of a sudden, whoosh, all that dirt just flew away. Now, later on, the government tried to remedy this with doing crop rotation. And the idea of crop rotation, a systematic approach to deciding which crops to plant, and that helps to manage soil fertility, so hopefully that doesn't like happen. But a drought like this, I, I mean, it doesn't matter how much crop rotation that it's just a terrible drought. Now, modern day in the Great Plains, there's an aquifer or like underwater, underground water reserve that we use and we tap into. But back then, they just they didn't even really know it was there or how to tap into it. So these storms just picked up all the soil and just blew it all the way across. Um, you know, from the Great Plains region all the way to New York City and Washington, D.C. I mean, these people in D.C. and and, uh, in New York City, I mean, everything like the skies are literally darkened because of all the dust that is coming from the Great Plains. I mean, hundreds of, you know, thousands of miles away. And the most severe of these dust storms were called black blizzards. And it was just, you know, I mean, some of it was even settling out in the middle of the ocean and, Uh, I I forget how many dump trucks worth of of soil that we lost, but it was the equivalent. You you could have dump trucks loaded up with all this dirt and it would circle all the way around the earth. I I think it was multiple times, but just ridiculous amounts of dirt. So anyhow, uh, these bad weather, low prices on farm products uh, caused people to lose their farms, lose their jobs, and so forth. About 60% of Dust Bowl, remember the Great Plains region I'm talking about here, uh, families lost their farms. 30,000 people left Kansas during this time. Thousands left Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas included, uh, and just basically other southern, southwestern plains states. A lot of them went to California. And the reason they went to California is because all that area was kind of protected from that dust storm. Because if you just move to the east, that dust is going to kind of follow you. So a lot of people went to California. And relief did not hit that region until the early 1940s, when the rain finally came back, and that kind of coincided with World War II. So it helped with farm production and having food for fighting World War II. And during this time, that people are homeless and without their farms, um, you know, we start to see, you know, people, you know, now not having enough food. When we're earlier, we talked about having too much, kind of. So. People are now on the streets. They've lost everything. They are begging at restaurants just for the garbage. Um, Health during this time deteriorated greatly. People living in the Dust Bowl had all kinds of breathing issues from all the dust that was in the air. Uh, People tried to grow their own little gardens and stuff, but this this did not help at all. As a result, we saw many sick children and adults during this time. Uh, Families to try to help and save on rent tried to move in together. Um, you know, just to save on rent and everything. Uh, men who lost their jobs were ashamed to see the rest of their family working. Working women were often excused from jobs uh, because they were accused of stealing jobs from men. Uh, so businesses would often fire married women, especially. And, uh, and now there were still some jobs during this time that were considered the you know women's work, uh, and this is where we see sexism still popping up. Um, and I, I keep alluding to sexism throughout history because we are going to spend an entire unit talking about sexism uh, in particular. But just kind of it, it even is present during this time of the Great Depression. I'm going to finish up this little unit um, of Dust Bowl, Great Depression, talking about sexism and racism. So. Uh, but you know, we saw women having domestic service jobs, typing jobs, and nursing jobs, and it was, it was tougher for women to branch out. And we're going to see women finally start to branch out when we get to World War II. So that's going to be coming up real soon in some next units. And finally, like I said, there was some discrimination still going on during this time. So with low job supply and many workers competing for jobs, uh, this led to general rise in suspicion and hostilities against minorities. So remember, we said 25% roughly of the population was unemployed during the Great Depression. Well, in 1932, 56%, over half of black Americans were out of work. So we're seeing more than just unemployment. We're seeing discrimination during this time. So... Some of this is going to get better after World War II, but it's not until the big civil rights movement that we start to see some of the changes, and sadly we still still need to see changes in our society even today, so we'll kind of get into that more as we go on, but just throughout history, I like to take a little time here and there and say that yes, there is still discrimination going on, just because we don't always talk about it doesn't mean it's not there, sadly. so. We're going to stop there for today. We're going to pick up with another unit here of the New Deal, the FDR administration trying to get the world or the United States, for that matter, back on track and out of the Great Depression. So join me soon with the New Deal, because I promise you, I promise America a New Deal, FDR style. See you soon.